Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, the executive search form for the insure tech industry on an international basis. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to hear a bit more about our recruitment services, please visit www.wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoy the episode. So we're starting 2023 with a really exciting one for the Leadership and Insurance podcast. This is a recording with um, MD of Insurance for Google, Nigel Walsh. Um, Nigel's a fantastic guy. Um, We've been lucky enough to be on a podcast with him for 11FS. Um, He's on various podcasts um, all the time. He's got great kind of just overview of what's happening in InsureTech and he's always a sort of brilliant speaker um, and thought leader in the world of insurance um, and InsureTech and insurance innovation. So um, we get to chop it up here and it was fantastic having one. Like I say, it's something that we've really tried to make happen for a while and, and Nigel was very kind to give us some time to record this. Um, so first episode of the year, Nigel Walsh, MD of Insurance for Google on the Leadership and Insurance podcast. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership Insurance Podcast. Um, that's a good uh, G up from uh, our friend Nigel Wolf there, who's MD of Insurance at Google. Um, we needed that because it's been a bit of a technological nightmare, but it wouldn't be podcasting if it wasn't. Um, Nigel, you're probably very well known to most of our audience, but um, uh, just before we dive in, uh, it'd be lovely if you could introduce yourself and uh, obviously the role you can play at Google. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, I'm pleased I'm here to help with technology. I feel that when you work for a technology company, you become the instant technology support person for whatever issue might be out there. So I'm uh, delighted <laughs> to help. Right? Um, so as you say, yeah, Nigel Walsh, um, I'm the Managing Director for Insurance at Google Cloud, uh, based out in New York, having an absolute blast with what we're up to right now and some of the things that we can help insurers enable, which we'll get into uh, later on. Being with Google about 18 months. And prior to that, most people will know me from my roles at uh, Deloitte leading InsureTech and uh, digital insurance, and prior to that, Capgemini. Brilliant stuff. Well, look, thank you for very much for coming on board. Um, I've uh, we've flown the Nigel Wolf flag here quite quite a lot, uh, mainly because we, we shared the same mission to make um, people fall in love with insurance. Um, <laughs> yes. And uh, we're do, we're doing our bit there. We're doing our bit. Um, and, uh, and of course, we've we've podcasted before on Eleven FS, so that was uh, that was a lot of fun as well. Um, so, yeah, well, I mean, I, I want to start with a sort of big, very open um, question. Um, we, we talk about innovation a lot on, on the podcast as, as kind of the, the core of what we're talking about. Um, I always like to start with what innovation, what does that mean to you when you hear that word innovation? This is like the gazillion dollar question, isn't it? And for me, innovation at the, at the highest level feels like doing something new and different to what we've always done. But as soon as you break into it, I often try and get into the are we innovating for an evolution or are we innovating for a revolution? So mm. I often think about, uh, or if I put it into maybe more insurance words, the digitization of processes or the digitalization. And let me give you a great example of, of that in, in, in actual play. So digitization for me feels like where much of the community has um, spent energy, effort, time in terms of taking existing processes that for time immemorial, we've always done, to be fair, and digitizing them. Have we got new ways of doing things that are quicker, smarter, uh, more accurate, more efficient, and ultimately a lower cost to what we used to do? And you see that walking around London with slips and whatever else that is still taking place. You see that I was on a, on a website yesterday looking at claims forms online. 
and it was actually a PDF that you'd fill in and then submit. Um, mm -hmm. Well, the digitalization or innovation there would be updating that and making it a little bit better. So you take out steps in the process or you make them digital. So that's innovation. That's innovation that constantly evolves to make what we've always done slightly better. The revolution piece for me, though, almost goes back to the mantra of when InsureTech was born, you know, five, six, eight years ago, that it was here to disrupt the insurers from the outset and almost rethinks what we've always done and challenges status quo. Mm -hmm. So a great example of that would be the big trend for algo trading uh, or algorithmic trading in, in the UK market right now. So what the folks, uh, James and Matthew and the team at Britain Key are up to, where they're using algorithms to do things that we would have done independently before. So this for me is actually rethinking from the outside in what's actually possible and going for a revolutionary approach rather than evolutionary approach. And I guess I can sum it all up by saying, one of my favorite quotes I, I kind of go back to time and time again is, never before have we moved this fast, but never again will we move this slow. And I always have that in the back of my mind because it's a really nice way of going, all right, we're going to change this for tomorrow, but even tomorrow is going to be out of date in a few years time, or a year's time, or a day's time. That was very succinctly put, and, and it's funny, actually, I was having this um, thought um, walking back uh, today from a meeting I was at, and, and talking about, I was thinking about evolution versus revolution. I was, I was actually having that challenge in my mind, because, you know, we quite often, we're very guilty in insurance, I think, of just looking at other industries and assuming they've done it better than us. Um, and I think we can acknowledge that largely a lot of them, a lot of them maybe have moved quicker. Um, and I was thinking about the role that regulation plays in innovation, because like how quickly or how much can you um you know evolve in a uh, can you uh have a revolution in, in in a market such as ours that's regulated um you know there is a restriction there so some of that kind of is naivety with, with people diving in but um i was just having this kind of i was actually dealing with my bank and i was going how much of this is revolutionary i've got a starling bank i, I love all the app i love the way it works um is this evolutionary or revolutionary? And I have that, that, that debate in my mind. And I was like, well, elements of it are, elements of it are just digitizing. But um, yeah, I think I, I'm always kind of really cautious that we just digitize processes and, and we don't question what's gone before. Um, and I suppose that's the kind of balancing act, isn't it? It's kind of keeping what is sacred and, and needs to be there from a regulatory standpoint, and then kind of pushing the thought processes on what can be changed um, to genuinely kind of, we need to hire more, yeah, we should we should hire more curious children. And I mean that in the nicest way. I've got a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old, and they're forever asking the question, why? And I think we should have more people go, why, why are we doing this? Why, why do we need this? Why do we have to yeah. do this? Um, regulation for me is actually a core source of innovation because it, mm. it drives certain behaviors that we have to do. So I see that I see regulation as an opportunity to innovate and think differently about how we've always done things. So that should create opportunity, not a barrier for, for things that we, we can or can't do. Um, I, like you, I'm a huge fan of what Anne Bowden and the team are doing at Starling. But the, but the difference between insurance, and we're, we're jumping straight to personalised, the difference between personalised insurance and personalised um, banking is that insurance is typically fire and forget. You'll go onto a comparison website in the UK, in the US, you go to your agent or your broker, you'll get your insurance. You will not normally interact unless you've got a midterm adjustment, a service issue, change like a change of address or whatever else it might be, um, mm -hmm. or a claim. Whereas mm -hmm. the bank account, you'll get to every every day, once a week, whatever it might be. 
just to see your balance, make sure your direct debits are working or whatever it might be, or make a payment to someone. So it's transactional versus interactional. So I think the two are very, very different. And we go, go back to the user's needs and this whole trend right now for embedded insurance. Well, actually embedded insurance is part of the trend. The actual trend will be, what are the things that I want my insurer to help me out with? If it's health insurance, it might be, hey, Alex, you need to work out more or work out less and have more sleep. If mm -hmm. it's auto, it might be, you're driving too quickly or you're driving too slowly or um, you need to do X, Y, Z, gamify the experience around UBI and stuff. If it's home, it might be around escape of water. So for me, the the shift that we're going to make is into these services that people actually foresee and engage better benefit from and will use more often as opposed to the traditional, I've bought a policy, I'll renew it in a year's time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was uh, I was just renewing my home insurance policy, and, and I, this this made me sad actually, Nigel. I, I went to do it, and then I was using a super slick new um, insure tech. Obviously, it's kind of I've got to test these things out. That's what we got to do. Uh, and then I, yeah, of course. And then uh, and then I was asked when my house had been built, and I was like, I don't know. Why are you asking me? <laughs> it's, it's, my, it's my favorite question, uh, not necessarily the built one. But what types of lock do you have? And <laughs> no one absolutely knows. And actually, I think Aviva about five or six years ago did a fantastic ad that's on YouTube now. You can go look at it for um, get a quote, not a quiz. And it's a really good thing where they sit nice. this person down in a in a mock-up interview, going, "What type of what type of locks do you have? Where was your house built? Is it got a flat roof, or what percentage is this?" And for the most part, none of us actually know because we were around when it was built in that sort of stuff doesn't necessarily come across. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe the innovation Alex you're talking about is a fact sheet or a, a passport for your property that has all these questions that address that you can give in and you can use as a QR code to go and get a quote for everything else and it pre-answers all those questions for you. Mm. I mean, that, 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 that sort of begs the question, isn't it? Insurance is one part of the value chain of someone's life. You know, like it, my life is all these elements that I need to, you know, but um, going through the process of buying a house up until recently, um, it doesn't matter how many times you've done it before, you're still staggered by how antiquated it was. Uh, to the point where I had to deliver wet signature documents. And you think, why is that even a thing? I mean, what's, uh, you know, there's that, that's yeah it's 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 madness so to, to the point where my uh, my vendor actually had to drive from plymouth to london in a day to get the transaction done which um blows your way so yeah but if you think about it how did those transactions happen during covid because one of the things i talked about a while back was digital indigestion so during covid almost everything managed to operate normally and we found ways to get these things done has that industry jumped backwards to the way it's always done or use mm. COVID as a way to look forward and go, hey, during COVID, we didn't need wet signatures. Can't we just keep that going forward? Mm. That's a really important point, because I think I think definitely I've seen a bit of that kind of recession to things that we've done before, rather than kind of going full steam ahead and embracing it. I mean, I saw that just in my industry, the amount of times I've been asked physically to go to meetings face to face, which I'm more than happy to do. But if and when it's convenient and if and when it's required and sometimes some of the searches that we do are quite discreet and we have to be very careful um, and it's better to do those face to face. Most of the time it's nicer to do it face to face. But the reality is if I, if I need to spend 45 minutes traveling to your office to have a half an hour minute, that's not efficient for anybody. Um, and I'm quite comfortable doing this stuff uh, online. So I think just some of its behaviors. But when you look at things like that, that are kind of fundamental parts of the process, you know, wet signatures, like you say, passport, 
using blockchain technology to kind of have, have a kind of house's fingerprint on there and, and then moving it forward as a digital contract. I mean, that just, that sort of stuff just makes perfect sense to me. That that means we're not all getting our surveys as well. If we keep buying houses, that survey's kind of stuck on the ledger, as it were. Um, so the, there's so much the other, to do that. The other, way, the other way to think about it, though, of course, is if you are going to a search where you've met those people before, you have a established trust. So mm. therefore, you have to, you, it's always contextual, right? I'm, I'm, I'm with you, I much prefer meeting people in person, but it's almost the right, the right balance for the right things at the right time. So if you can be more efficient and you know and have that relationship, that's great. But if you're, if you're trying to establish that relationship, you'd probably make that extra 45 minute journey to go and meet that person or individuals to go and establish that rapport first and foremost. Of course, of course. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's where I've kind of pushed my behavior is now that when it's about relationships driven I've, I've just said that I, on my meetings now i prefer to be tools down and it's we are just getting to know each other building trust because a lot of the kind of fundamentals of what most people do can be done um like this or, or any other method um talking more specifically about google um you know and google cloud and i think i think there's still probably a lack of awareness about what part Google has to play in the insurance ecosystem, certainly from, a, you know, from, from many practitioners. So what role does Google Cloud play within innovation and insurance? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I, I've been uh, trying to address this with many of the team uh, and our clients for the last 18 months that I've been here now. And it really is to share how organizations can benefit from the scale, capability, insights um, that an organization like Google Cloud has to help insurers do to our very first question, innovate quicker, faster, smarter, better. So to put it into context, um, I'm often asked what, 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 what makes us unique? And I will always start with um, data and AI and security. And I think if I start there, I can either work up into dedicated solutions that are packaged together around some of our core capabilities to solve banking or financial services or retail or other issues. And then all the way down to the core infrastructure that I think will be I'm always going to call it generation one cloud providers. And of course, there are many other cloud providers out there. What differentiates us, if I get into that middle piece around data and AI, is everything that we do in our consumer businesses is underpinned by data and AI and leveraging that know-how, skill set, scale, capability and applying that to products for the enterprise um, is just fantastic. So I can either start on the edge and the edge cases might be we've got uh, capabilities like document AI, uh, visual AI, voice AI. So the theme there is they've all got artificial intelligence built in from the outset. And one might be dealing with documents, whether it's a, a claims form or a submission form coming in, extracting all that and then slamming it against the system of record or policy admin or claim system. Visual AI is exactly as it sounds, um, using images or video and taking the data out of those to then put back into the process. Again, all things that are typically done in manual or very manual ways today. And then voice AI is exactly the same. We, we did a press release with the TIAA in the States recently where we're talking about how our voice AI solution is being leveraged on top of their contact center to do deflection, insight, service. Uh, we've got capabilities there like speech to text, text to speech, and so much more. So there's some really good examples out there, both from other industries from Google as an organization that we can apply back to insurers really, really quickly. So for me, number one, start with the capabilities around AI that you can wrap around the edges. And then of course, as you dig into the detail, you've got to store that data somewhere. So if I look at things like Analytics Hub, 
uh, enterprise knowledge graph, entity resolution, uh, our ability to display and give insights, all that sort of stuff. There's a huge capability for understanding what we've got. I mean, I've never seen an insurer say to me, we haven't got enough data. What they struggle, I think, a lot of the times with is insights. So we're able to help mm. process those way faster um, uh, and way more efficiently to get the things that you want going forward. So for me, they're the, they're, they're the two, or, two or three key things I'd start out with by saying, here's how uh, Google Cloud helps insurers drive uh, benefit inside their organization. Is that sometimes some of the challenge for businesses trying to engage? And there's plenty of smart people on both sides of this fence, but particularly on the insurer side as well. In When you've got such a suite of services, um, knowing the best way to engage as, as, as a sort of starting point, um, is that sometimes the challenge because it's sort, sort of so broad and um, widely defined? Uh, I mean, you obviously did a neat job there, but I think sometimes it's a case of, you know, people looking for much simpler solutions, but you're almost offering them a suite of kind of opportunities of solutions. And, and then it's about the creativity between the, you know, the Google team and, and them to kind of come up with the kind of best use cases. I think it's, it's, it's two things. Are you buying a capability or are you looking at establishing a partnership? And partnerships for me are much more than a, hey, we need to go fix X. X. It's more of a, how can we work together to accelerate our business to meet our combined OKRs or objectives? And that might be, we're looking to take cost out because our combined ratio has gone through the roof and we need to try and take cost out in different ways. We want to make the claims process more effective and more efficient for uh, brokers, agents, consumers. We want to make the ingestion and submission process smarter. So it's actually about finding each one of those things and working out how we're being measured. Are we being measured on satisfaction, cost, efficiency, whatever it might be, and then working out is it a point solution or is it a a partnership? And I think having those those conversations at the outset makes life much richer for all parties involved, and then allows us to go well. Actually, look, here's the capabilities that we have at the core, and they solve these issues, whether you're personal, commercial, health, or elsewhere. But we've got the, the ability to go up into industry domain solutions or down into core infrastructure. And I think we're seeing more and more clients now get into the world of you know, multiple partnerships or multi-cloud or hybrid cloud environments where they're doing a bit of a bit of both. And I think Europe has been leading the way in this, to be fair, where you're not putting everything into one place. And again, as an insurance organization, you want to make sure your oper operational resilience is in place as well. Mm. I'm interested to know in your in your time there, so it's 18 months or so in, into your Google career, um, what are the sort of challenges facing insurers that, I suppose, theme, uh, you know, theme-wise, has has that evolved and changed? Um, and are there sort of distinct themes? You sort of almost see these waves of interest in particular things of specific challenges that, you know, Google would be able to help them with on the technology front. Yeah, I, I don't want to make this a, a technology sales pitch in any way, shape or form. I don't think the challenges have changed dramatically. I think there's a couple of highlights I'd, I'd call out. Um, one is the sheer vast volume and scale and availability of data that's out there. So we're not being, we've not been very good at organising, collecting and driving insights as an industry. I think that's something that Google brings to bear extremely well, given our background. Um, number one. Number two, I guess the rise of the insurtechs or fintechs, to your point on, on Starling, most of the traditional carriers and brokers and elsewhere will be anything from 50 to 300 years old. 
And if you're if you're a 150 year old carrier, you come with a level of technical debt that requires managing, running, and whatever else. Obviously, talent is 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 my selfish thing that I like to talk about, Nigel. And um, I, I wanted to kind of understand what what I've seen is a bit of an evolution with the big, particularly big insurers, more traditional insurance players, is is how what the talent setup looks like, and and what I mean by that, different types of teams that are engaging with innovation um and kind of any sort of thoughts on how that tends to work well because i think i think we're past the i think innovation teams have a huge important part to play in insurance i think they're useful for driving that but then if it's isolated there it's problematic um and i just wonder when you when you talk about partnership i thought about the types of partnerships roles that we keep sort of seeing those types of yeah, where, where does it tend to work well when you're trying to engage on these partnerships? And, you know, is it important the sort of level you go in? Do you go in with different parts of the business? Um, and I suppose where it kind of roughly falls down from both a kind of talent setup perspective and, and probably reach and where you're engaging with that business. Yeah, it's, it, that's a broad question. Um, talent, let me speak on talent for a second in that sure. talent generally we've heard that talent skills and talent gaps have been prevalent for a very long time and specifically when it comes to cloud we've also heard that cloud skills or data and ai or data science skills are lacking across the board never mind insurance so mm. the search for talent is quite a difficult um quite a difficult thing to the extent back in 2021 we announced we were going to uh, train 40 million people globally using google cloud skills to make sure there is access to capability of folks that can use, use understand, and, and build experience in, in Google Cloud. When it comes to insurance, I found over the last few years, we went through the whole phases of innovation labs and innovation teams and whatever else. I think what's changed now is those innovation teams have gone from centralized innovation teams to more localized to the business problem they're gonna solve. I.e., there's a claims innovation team um, an underwriting innovation team, a data innovation team, and they all come up together in a much different way than what that was um, that was done before. And I think that works really, really well. For me, it's not always about the talent, but actually about the organization setup. Have yeah. these folks been given the the budget first and foremost? Secondly, the authority, uh, and and finally, the responsibility to do stuff. What we'd seen for a long time, at least over my last couple of roles has been, they've been given the remit, but no authority. So mm. you kind of, you can't win in that sort of scenario. You've got to be able to go, hey, I, I want to go be able to disrupt whether it's in a, whether it's evolutionary or revolutionary, but are you giving me permission, power, authority, and money to then make it happen? Or is it just a nice thing to go do? Mm. Yeah, it's something we've seen as well, is the communication of those teams as well. I mean, like one of the, I've told this anecdotally a couple of times. Was we 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 built an algo team for um, a, a traditional carrier, or, or we we built a team that was going to run that project and say, is it possible? Should we get it off the shelf? Should we get into expertise? Should we build it in house? And ask those kind of those those right questions. Um, and they started on this project, and then they found out along the way that different parts of the organization were already working on sort of tools that would add to this solution, whether it be um, ingesting emails and, and, and be able to kind of get out broken demands and uh, various things. And, and so the communication setup 
of of these kind of localized uh, innovation hubs was was a challenge for the, for this particular business and I, I wouldn't imagine they're alone because um, i think communicating between those seems to be the biggest challenge for us yeah i, I couldn't agree more and i think that will that's starting to solve its way through because we've gone through all the hype of experimentation and pocs and whatever else but we've got to tie it back to how each of the business areas are measured i think we've had most success where a business owner is in partnership with a technology execution capability and side by side we get it done not one or the other mm. Mm. yeah i mean i think one of the things that we've noticed insurance is insure tech has been useful in driving is is, is a much more healthy comp, uh, sort of conversation you know when i have conversations now with with you know quote unquote incumbent insurers or, or traditional insurance carriers um, it's much more awareness or interest in it, uh, and 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 therefore just challenging. There's an environment of challenge in, in the status quo, which has become more normalised. And and you know that doesn't mean that we're in this kind of like I don't know utopia of innovation and change, but it does mean that there's a kind of open dialogue and conversation about it, which I think is is healthy. Does that resonate with you? Do you think that you think the sort of Sort of the resistance is broken slightly and, and now for, we're having much more sensible conversations about innovation. I think the, the resistance broke a long time ago. I think yeah. people were very open to engaging in surtechs. Um, but you but we, we I think at first we tried too many. Now we need to work out which ones we're after. Back to my point about innovation being pushed to the extremities of where the problems actually exist. So rather than having mm. one team do everything, you've now got a team in claims working with insurtechs that have capabilities and claims but the communication is still vital because if we're doing ingestion and analysis and claims the same mm -hmm. capabilities used in underwriting or pricing mm. yeah yeah no i would i would i would say the same but i think the um i think the pr is still sort of fairly that that, that uh and maybe they're sitting in london slightly that like some of the businesses of resistance to change I, I don't think the resistance to change is there i mean one thing that we've talked about um internally is that you know you you, you sort of like when when you come with solutions and and you know we we were talking about core systems providers uh, recently uh, in at finpro uh, it's a sort of exciting conversation we have on a friday um and we were talking about these core systems providers and and, and one of the kind of tracks of of pr had been that you know all these people don't know it's broken and i was like the first person that knows whether technology stack is good or bad is probably the cto of an incumbent carrier whether they've got the capability to sort of swallow that hole and make that change wholesale we know they can't because of the regulatory concerns but also just piecemeal budget authority all of these things that we're just discussing you know it, but it's tackling more discrete solutions that are complementary i think is the theme of work we're seeing i've always said lots of these are and solutions as opposed to all solutions so often mm. you put a traditional policy administration or core admin system with one of the insure techs because you don't always need to be able to launch a new product every hour i mean in fact you don't need to launch a new product every hour it might be every three months or every six weeks and your traditional legacy platform might not be able to do that but maybe if you added a bolt-on capability from one of the many insure techs out there that do this you can have best of both worlds and work out how you do product speed to market the agility that you want the agility to go test it in the market and if it doesn't work you shut it down and so we've tried it it didn't work but you haven't spent a year trying to launch it you spent you know six weeks or 12 weeks trying to do that mm. talking about that sort of speed of change do, do, you, do you think insurers are guilty of being reactive to, to to the innovations that happen in the market um 
I think we both know that probably isn't the case, but is it still more reactionary versus proactive or? That's a really good question. As in, as in, I think to some extent we are. We are I guess the question probably is, are we one step ahead, five steps ahead or a hundred steps ahead? Yeah. There's probably no point being a hundred steps ahead because we're, we've missed the customer demand or we're not meeting the, meeting them with what they need to be today. I'm not sure being one step ahead is good enough, but we have to be five, 10, 15, 20 steps ahead, or at least have a path how we're going to continuously innovate. So reactionary, probably to some extent on the back foot of what our digital experience is in every other industry. Mm. But if someone said to you, what's the future of insurance look like? Or, or how will my 13 year old son buy and engage in insurance? We should have a view of what that might look like now. Because if it's the same way as we do it today and our parents did before us, I think we failed. I've said that before. Mm. So go on then. <laughs> That's the, what, what, what should that look like? What, what do you think? I mean, 20 years down the line, I'll expect, let's, I've just done my house insurance, the, the personal, I'll take the personal lines experience. Is, is, it, is it in those embedded um, customer centric? Is it, is it the experience is different or, or is, there, is there more kind of distinct? change that we'll see uh, in, in those insurance solutions, do you think? I think we've got to get back to what customers need or want or provide value. And mm. insurance insurance claims will probably be the last resort. It'll be the byproduct of everything else, getting to a situation where we need to make the claim for the home, or whatever it might be. But I think to see the future today, if I step back five years or three years, and you look at the World Economic Forum's annual global risks report on there were things like cyber attack, global pandemic, loss of clean water, lots of uh, increase in natural uh, catastrophes. Any of these sound familiar? Mm. We know a reasonably good view of what the future holds out already from the research and insights that we've got, whether it's wildfire, whether it's flood, whether it's um, wh whatever it may be. What we have to try and do is stop playing catch up and working out how we can do it take a jump forward to start getting ready for these things in different ways. So I think embedded is a massive part of all of these things, but embedded is one answer on the acquisition of insurance. We're then going to work out if you've got 17 individual covers from 15 different providers that look after your home and the services that go around it that you, that you really want, security, uh, insights, whatever it might be. How does a claim experience work? How does a service experiences work? And how do you monetize all those together going forward? Um, mm. That and fall within the right regulation. So I think it is going to change. Um, I don't think doing nothing is an option. I, don't, I never have done. Mm. That's um, yeah. I mean, I, th I think that I think the sort of integration of your life, your digital life, your your yeah, digital sounds backward just to say. You know, my just we're talking about Stalin. We're talking about kind of your retail buying experiences. You know, we're now, I've talked many times on here going, if, if I can't get something delivered in 24 hours, I probably won't order it, um, which is a terrible way to be, but it's just it's just now what I accept to be the norm. It's the, same as, it's the same as me with things like Apple Pay or Google Pay or whatever it may be. If I can't pay with a tap, I often just don't buy in the first place and go somewhere that does accept it. I remember being in the yeah. middle of a national park in the US and I walked into a store that wouldn't accept Apple Pay um, I walked to a farmer's market outside in the middle of nowhere who had a cell phone and a square terminal and managed to take mm. my payment. 
So I think it's there. It's back to this technical debt and legacy that we have. We need, we need to go solve. The other thing is, being, is, is the relevance. So if I said to you, Alex, if you're driving from, back to, for example, from London to Plymouth with carrier A, and it auto switched you to carrier B based on your risk profile and your driving on the way back, would you care? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I've asked the... No, I wouldn't. Um, but we've had this conversation a few times lately. Um, we care about insurance and we're talking about it and, and you're on your mission to make it for full of love with it. But the reality is most people don't care. You know, they, they, they want it. They want that security. They want to know it exists, but they don't really want any interaction with it. Um, so, which is why I'm always pulled in two directions between if I had more interaction with my insurer, would I value that service more? Uh, you know, there's more touch points, more chance for them to wow me as a customer. There's an argument to that. But there's another side of it going, as long as they offer them me this, they give me the right cover, the appropriate cover. So if I have, if anything bad happens, I'm covered. Do I want that in a kind of seamless back, you know, behind the scenes version? Um, and I can't quite decide which one I pull in direction of. Because um, I want to be wowed by every customer experience. But I also have things like yeah we talk, I, I talked about a funny really funny customer i had to order a blood test online came to me for, for medical screening i i sent them in and then it was following with this sort of traditional customer service thing now of texting me going how was your experience and i was thinking that's not a thing i want to text about to sort of review this is not this is not what i want we um, have we have <laughs> i bought i bought a, i bought a thing in milk and in my local store and I, I paid in my card and instantly went how was your experience i'm like i bought a milk i don't need to tell you how my experience is it worked fine so it would have taken longer to do the survey than it would actually buy the milk um yeah but, 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 but go back to your previous point um this is isn't this about making it relevant and engaging as well because if mm. i can it, it's what you perceive the value to be if i said to you alex i can help you add seven years to your life by following these steps now or five years, or live longer and healthier, and um, uh, disease or elsewhere free, you'd pay quite close attention to it. If yeah. I said to you, you know, what's the, what's the old saying? The best time to change a roof is when it's not raining, or when it's not mm -hmm. broken. If I can mm -hmm. tell you in advance, hey, your house is about to, something's about to happen to your house, therefore do this preventative maintenance now to avoid inconvenience in a claim later, there's a good chance you might do it. Mm. Mm. and that, that stuff i've seen maybe i've not you know i'm always conscious that as much as i work in the industry and, and we get across it we work with our clients we tend to know our clients really well but sometimes outside of that we, we have our blinkers on because there's only so much worldview we have you know and i i see a lot of that innovation in health i see some of that stuff in travels that i'm interacting with um and i think more of that relevance is exactly the point you know i don't want my insurer telling me things which are irrelevant to my life but if my insurer is saying even if on my car insurance if they're sort of advising that oh your car's x amount of years old have you had it serviced recently we could book you in for a service there's some kind of additional things that they could do that would bad value um i'm not seeing the broader stuff and i was going to ask you this question again i apologize it's a, it's a broad question but are we doing enough to tackle some of the bigger challenges you know you talked about the global risk report you've got you know climate emergencies, water, 
access to, to clean and safe water. You know, insurance is, is this facilitator of business. Uh, you know, the, the only contentious uh, podcast I've ever done was when uh, we had Bruce Carnegie Brown on, and then I basically got bombarded. I, I've never been harassed online in my life, but we got bombarded about Lloyd's decision or not to insure this, um, you know, pipeline. Um, uh, do you think we kind of, we can as an industry do more on the the bigger issues? Are we seeing enough innovation in those kind of, you know, steps towards things like, you know, being green insurers or, or being climate responsible insurers? If you think about it, the world doesn't move without insurance. And that's yeah. why I get so excited about our industry and that we play such a pinnacle role in society's ability to move and do anything at all. It really makes, it really makes me feel proud of what our industry enables to happen, whether it's generation of um, risks that might be taking things to uh, outer space, whether it might be building offshore wind and solar farms, wherever it might be, or stopping mm -hmm. insuring things like coal mines and, and dirty fossil fuel. So we have, a, we have an yeah. amazing opportunity as an insurance industry to enable or not and help change, other, help change the direction of society more broadly going forward, as well as mm -hmm. in parallel, educate everyone on what it is our role in society is and how we enable those things to take place. Nothing mm. would happen today, and this is why I get excited about insurance, nothing would happen today. You wouldn't be in the office, we wouldn't be online today, we wouldn't be driving cars, whatever else, without insurance being in place to mitigate those risks. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's where I get a little bit frustrated because it's it's I don't think sometimes there's been enough um, decisions made to not insure. You know, that 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 the, the power of that to kind of go, no, we won't I mean it's the same as you know, there's so there's so much at play here. You know, you've got finance, it's being financed by somebody, they can make that decision not to, it's being insured by somebody who can make a decision not to. I think every step that we kind of go along along that way, um, obviously there's a kind of profit decision based on that and, and and people have got to make kind of bigger choices and we're constantly having the conversation on here the reason we like working with kind of earlier stage startup businesses is they generally are uh you know they're small they're, they're privately ran so they kind of aren't responsible to shareholders um you know as soon as you get responsible to shareholders there's a there's a conflict there because it's some people care only about profit and that's understandable so but, but not, i think but not always not always many shareholders will now dictate and insist that we have our ESG agenda set up and actively governed and done correctly, our diversity agenda set up and everything else correct correctly. So I actually think our shareholders are becoming much more engaged and active to make sure that they are aligned to society's changing norms as we go forward. So I think both insurers, I think, I think Lloyd's, for example, has done a great job over the last couple of years of saying no to certain things to say, we're no longer going to be in that business and we've got to change and, and putting the right time limits. It's not an overnight change, but putting the right mm -hmm. time limits in place to say um, over time to ensure these risks will get more expensive. And at some point that cover will not be available. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I think being realistic as well about timescales to change is, is, is a really important point, kind of moving towards that. And, uh, you know, it's the same for innovation. You know, it's that, right, we've got an innovation roadmap. We, we want to get to this dream point of the, the customer, which is obviously never achievable because it continuously moves. But we're going to sort of take up these things piecemeal. And the same happens for kind of using, I don't know, innovation for good or insurance for good and, and stopping some of these industries. Um, uh, really conscious of your time, Nigel, and, and so um, I, I'll sort of finish with this one, which I, I, I sort of always like to talk about this time of year. 
Uh, it's been a really exciting, interesting year, uh, 2022, for in insurance and insurtech and innovation. Um, what are you excited about as we look into 2023? Is there any specific sort of things on your, uh, I don't know whether it's events or innovations or kind of specific themes that you're seeing that you're kind of excited about seeing where they go in the, in the next 12 months? Yeah, I, I always talk about embedding. I've been talking about this for five years. I think it's actually topic of the day. I think people are taking it on, on, on mass scale and adoption, really investigating that. I think that's done and dusted now and, and we'll see its course through to, uh, to see how we, we engage. That will drive the necessity to update capability systems, insights, data. So I actually get excited by actually how some of the underlying capability that we've got and others will help these insurers make those decisions. So whether it's a data perspective, whether it's an integration perspective, we've got some cool things to do there. We touched on ESG very lightly. I do think that's going to be huge for the industry uh, through 2023 and beyond. Um, so actually, if you bring all those things together, it comes back to actually how are we going to better organize, in fact, go back to our mission, organize the world's information to make it universally accessible. It's a great mission for insurers. I think we've got a really, really exciting part to play in that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. And um, I'm really excited to see some of the partnerships you come out with. Um, yeah, yeah, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Uh, we've been we've been, we've been, trying to make this happen for a while, so I'm really pleased we've got to do it. Thanks, Alex. Whether it's Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever you celebrate, enjoy the holidays and uh, see you in 2023. Good, man. Thanks very much. Take care. Bye.